Welcome, everybody. Welcome to uh, Jedi Disruption. These are conversations with leaders on emerging technologies and on science. Uh, my name is André Lezopo-Pietri. I'm the director of Jedi, uh, which is the Joint European Disruptive uh, Initiative. We are launching grand challenges to solve some of our society's uh, greatest uh, issues in healthcare, environment, digital, oceans, and space. And today we are absolutely delighted to have uh, Olivier Zrati uh, with us. Olivier is a multi-talent. He's an author, he's a technology expert, he's a speaker, and he's also a board member of, of JEDI and a long-standing uh, long friend of, of, uh, of the European DARPA. So, uh, Olivier, first, thanks uh, to be with us. Hello. And uh, let's dive immediately into our topic of today, uh, quantum. Uh, the French called it the revolution that France will not, not miss, which is pretty daring as a statement. Tell us about how France and maybe how Europe is is, is faring in quantum. Yeah, what's surprising with this uh, statement is, uh, I would add government, French government shouldn't miss it. Because if you look at research in France and even uh, at the, the way the startup ecosystem has been striving, France is in a very good shape. Uh, we have a very good scientist, uh, particularly both uh, 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 senior scientists like Alain Aspect, who discovered the quantum entanglement back in 82. But we have also a lot of uh, um, uh, younger scientists who are now entrepreneurs, who launched uh, very interesting startups like Candela, Alison Bob, and Pascal. We have many, many uh, talents around, and they didn't wait for the government. But now government is needed because we need more funding, we need more uh, communication around the, uh, a joint uh, plan for the country, and to put that in the context of a European plan. So, Europe, is Europe a, a, a single market on quantum? Uh, and how do the different European countries, could you tell us a little bit about the different plans? Uh, will we have, like an AI, a, a huge fragmentation? Or do you see the single quantum market emerging? And how do we compare to the US and China? Well, you know, uh, when you speak about uh, market, you have to make a difference between the offer and the demand. Uh, right now, the quantum market is very small. Uh, it's just starting. Um, there's already some fragmentation in the offering. What's important is to start to have a good offering uh, that's European-wide. We don't have that many uh, European companies right now uh, in the quantum space. We have many startups around. Uh, surprisingly, uh, Europe is the largest continent with regards to the number of startups in quantum computing, which is not true for AI, for example. You have more quantum startups in Europe than in the US right now. And how do you explain this? Uh, the reason is, uh, is the fragmentation of Europe. <laughs> because since there's a good fragmentation, uh, country-based and also in research, you have a lot of startups coming out of research. And there are many, many uh, initiatives uh, everywhere in Europe, both in the hardware side and in the software side. So you have uh, many, many startups in France, in Spain, in Germany. You have a also a lot in the Netherlands. You have some in Austria, uh, some in Italy. So many, many countries have their own startup ecosystem. Uh, now the, the, the big challenge is to have these startups grow, uh, get some uh, nice funding, um, uh, go to the le a good level of maturity for their technology, which may take some time. Uh, many of the startups are still kind of private research labs uh, compared to uh, a regular imaging processing startup in the AI field. 
I mean, we, we are talking, most of the people who are listening to us are, are, are scientists or technologists, but yeah. uh, let's maybe differentiate between the different fields. Obviously, there is uh, uh, sensors. We have uh, quantum communication, uh, which uh, apparently also the Chinese are, are moving forward a lot. And there is the quantum computer, which is a bit the, the, the ground. Yeah, that's, that's the usual way. Yeah, that's the usual way to split the market, but we, we have to add another one, which is t quantum telecommunication. Okay. Quantum telecommunication is a broad uh, segment where you put quantum cryptography, because quantum cryptography is uh, one application of quantum telecommunication. But quantum tele telecommunication can go way beyond uh, just cryptography. For example, quantum telecommunication can be the base for distributed quantum architecture where you would connect different quantum computers through a quantum uh, connection and make it look like if it was a big computer in a single location. So it's uh, it doesn't work yet. Uh, there's a lot of work uh, to do to uh, um, uh, work on the, uh, the process of converting the status of the qubit, uh, let's say a superconducting qubit or uh, whatever cold atom or trapped ion qubit it is, to a photon because you have to use photons to connect uh, different computers through a telecommunication link. That's uh, complicated. But when that works, it's going to be very powerful. Uh, another example is how do you connect a quantum sensor and a quantum computer directly through a quantum link so that you get the, the full data from the sensor. So those technologies are very, uh, very intertwined. So you need to master all of them to, to create a, a good system. So you would argue that the fundamental technological bricks uh, will be the same for all uh, for all the sectors. And can you tell us a bit about the frontiers? It's, well, it's not exactly the same uh, technological barriers, but there are some connections. Um, one example is uh, photonics. Photonics is both one way to create uh, qubits on top of atoms and electrons, because you have three, three kinds of qubits when you want to do quantum computing. It's either some kinds of electrons, there are many ways to control electrons, some kinds of atoms, you have cold atoms uh, and uh, trapped ions, so uh, an, an ion is an atom without an electron, um, and you have photons. So you can create a quantum computer with photons, so you, have, you have a couple of very good startups in that space in the UK, Orca Computing and Psyquantum, uh, who, who raised more than $200 million, but had to go to the US to, to, to get this uh, level of funding. And um, But on top of that, if you use photons, you can use it for cryptography, for telecommunication, for sensing. So some technologies have multiple usages. And sometimes you can't predict in advance what's going to happen and how, how fast you will uh, master the technology. Uh, I can give you another example, which is uh, uh, called Atoms. Um, there are uh, companies uh, in the US or even um, uh, so-called Envy Centers. Envy Centers is a technology using uh, diamonds where you use a defect in diamond to control some electrons in the defect. And with that, you can create either a qubit for calculus or you create a sensor, or you can even create memory with that a quantum memory. So some startups start to say, I'm going to create a quantum computer using NVCenter. Since it doesn't work very well, they do a so-called pivot. They pivot and they move back to uh, quantum sensing because it's easier to do. So sometimes you have a kind of reuse of the technology. So it's very hard to predict how it's going to go. So you would say that today it's driven really by, by the, the offer uh, or do you see some, some use cases emerging? And oh, what do you have, you 
to, to really of course, of course, you have many use cases in all the the four dimensions of quantum uh, technologies that, that we just mentioned. Uh, if you just take quantum computing, you have uh, tons of applications. Uh, uh, most of them in quantum simulation. So, uh, how do you simulate? Um, uh, molecules, how do you simulate materials to create new batteries, uh, new drugs, uh, new whatsoever technology. So that's a way to simulate uh, real life uh, in, in the quantum computing. You have a lot of optimization uh, solutions, which can be useful for logistics, for transportation, for automated cars, uh, for uh, supply chains, uh, optimization for banking, for marketing. All of those scenarios, they are, people know about them. The, the, the only problem is we need the computers <laughs> to do that. Uh, we have more scenarios than actual computers. So you need to make sure that we scale the technology uh, of quantum computing to a point where all these uh, use cases will be uh, possible to implement. It will take some time. Uh, that, that there is a branch of quantum computing and quantum software called hybrid uh, algorithms, hybrid software, which is a way to merge existing quantum computers, which are not very powerful, and existing supercomputer, and make sure that both of them can do something useful. And that's, a, that's an existing branch where a lot of companies are getting invested right now. And this is, has this already been applied, for example, in the areas like climate simulation, which are the most intensive? No, cli climate simulation is not the right use case. The, mm. reason, the reason is, uh, first, it already works fairly well um, with uh, traditional supercomputers. The second reason why it's not easy to implement in a quantum computer is it requires a lot of data. And surprisingly, um, there's, a, there's a huge myth about quantum computing. A lot of people think that uh, quantum computing is going to be a, a, an excellent solution to manage the big data, like we say, yeah. uh, in machine learning and so on. It's not right. It's not right because putting a lot of data in a quantum computer is very costly. It takes a lot of time. Uh, nobody knows how to do this very efficiently. Uh, quantum computing is more efficient to solve a complicated problem with not a lot of data. So for example, if you want to simulate a, a 1,000 atom molecule, you need to put uh, in the data, let's say 1,000 information, uh, connect, uh, linked to the, the atoms you want to simulate. It's not as, many, uh, as much data as if you wanted to train uh, some deep learning solution to recognize uh, 10 different 10,000 different images out of 100 million, where you would have billions of data. So uh, most of the, the optimization problems that you can solve with quantum computing, at least as far as we know today, are modest in the data size, but complicated in the complication of the problem, the compl complexity of the problem. Maybe a very specific question. As you know, one of our first grand challenges was to, to scan billions of molecules uh, towards the yep. COVID-19. So you mentioned that for, for, for protein or for, for a new compound simulation that could be extremely applicable. Has it been applied in this current pandemic? Well, it has been tried uh, for very small molecules. Uh, so far, okay. uh, for, uh, the, the big uh, grail is a uh, holy grail of quantum computing is to, to do protein folding, for example. But protein folding is a very complicated problem. Uh, to solve even with a quantum computer. So right now, what most people are doing is are using uh, machine learning tools and deep learning tools, which are leveraging existing data of existing molecules that we know, where you know the 3D uh, size and shape and form. And then we train a system to recognize based on what you know. But if you want to create ex nihilo, a new molecule, deep learning is not useful, not very yeah. useful. So there we will need to have a quantum solution, but to do protein folding, we will need uh, 
a number of qubits that way beyond what we have today. So we don't do it right now. So if you ask IBM and Google and others, what they do right now is they are able to simulate molecules with about, I would say, less than 12 atoms. Uh, if you take the, one of the most complicated molecules in, uh, in life, which is the ribosome, a ribosome is the a molecule that creates uh, uh, proteins in your cells. It contains uh, 300,000 atoms. So you will need a very large quantum computer to simulate that. So in between, we do other, we use a, a mix of techniques. I'm sure this will be interesting for our partners folding at home. Yeah. Because but you, 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 know you have, a, I, I know a company based in France called Qubit Pharma. Mm -hmm. Qubit Pharma has a goal to create uh, tools for simulating um, uh, molecules of any size, uh, size, shape, and form, and to do see also uh, drug retargeting using quantum computer. But right now, what they do is they have their own algorithm, which is, by the way, open source, and they, they are able to run it on existing supercomputer and using GPUs, let's say the IBM Summit in the US or mm -hmm. uh, other supercomputings in Germany or in France or in Netherlands. And um, in the meantime, they're working on improving the algorithms and waiting for quantum computers to, to improve. And they will use a so-called hybrid algorithm. So a, a small part of the algorithm running on quantum, quantum computer and the big part running on a supercomputer. Super How many qubits will we need to simulate the ribosome? I have no idea, but I think it's, good. it's probably in millions. And it, it depends on the, uh, the way you count the qubits. There is a, a big argument and big discussion on what is a qubit in a quantum computer. Is uh, right now uh, all the qubits we are using uh, in the, the prototype comp comp quantum computers we have, even those from IBM and Google, they are so-called noisy qubits. So they 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 produce a lot of noise, and this noise drives errors. Uh, if you take uh, your own laptop, it creates errors, but uh, very few errors. You have only one error out of, I don't know, billions of billions of operations. So it's insignificant. But in quantum computing right now, you have a level of error, which is about, let's say, 0.5%. And you have this level of error for each operation. So let's say you you, you have 0.5% error and you do 20 operations. At the end, you have too much error and it doesn't make any sense. So if you want to have 1,000 operations, it's not possible right now. So what people try to do they try to reduce the physical noise in the qubits, and it's a very complicated uh, physical problem to solve because we are schizophrenic in uh, quantum computing. We are schizophrenic because you limit the noise with limiting, with limiting the interactions between the qubit and its environment. So if you isolate very well the qubit, it won't have too much noise. The problem is to do calculus, you need to control the qubit. So you need to have uh, uh, quantum gates which control the, the qubit, you need to have measurement which uh, targets the qubit, and all these creates noise. So you have to find the right trade-off. And so one of the solutions that is uh, devised by uh, many, many uh, uh, scientists in that space is to create so-called logical qubits based on a, a, a big number of physical qubits and to implement so-called quantum error correction. So quantum error correction is an algorithm uh, using also a physical layout of the qubit, which makes it so that the, the logical qubit comprising a lot of physical qubit have, has a lower error level than the, the, its components. But it's uh, still... The uh, of quantum is the whole uh, basic certification, basically, of, of uh, quantum computers. What do you mean certification? I mean, uh, you, you basically control the quality of what comes out of the, of the calculation. 
Well, yeah, well, to do okay. that, you, you, to do that, you would need to have a, a large number of physical qubits, even with the existing quality that we have today. And scaling the number of qubits in a quantum computer is one of the biggest challenges. And uh, uh, those challenges are not just physics level challenge, challenges, it's uh, engineering challenges. Let me give you an example. If you take the, the, the famous quantum computers from IBM and Google, they both have about 53 qubits available. Uh, those Google claim that they achieved quantum supremacy. Yeah, they've done that last October. We could comment on that, you but it's tell us about it. Well, we, later. So, if you take those fifty-three qubits using um, uh, qubits based on the superconducting technology, uh, each of those qubits need at least three wires to get control. So you have a kind of chip, like a microprocessor from your own laptop. It's a chip, but it's controlled by three wires for each of the qubits, and e the wires are sending microwaves. So you need to have a generate uh, generation of microwaves with external uh, microwave generator. And those microwave generators are out either outside the, the cooled uh, system, which is at very low temperature of 15 uh, millikelvin, or they are inside the, the, the cooled system. But then they you need to make sure that they don't uh, generate a lot of energy because they will create some heat and it will uh, break the temperature of the system. So we have a very complicated electronics design to make sure that you control those microwaves in an efficient fashion uh, with not dissipating too much heat and to scale. And right now, I've been studying that for during the COVID uh, <laughs> lockdown. I found out that there were only a couple labs and couple companies in the world who could do that. And one is in the US, by the way. Uh, but if you look at uh, the the way you cool the system, there are very interesting companies based in Europe. Uh, you have Blue Force in uh, Finland, you have uh, Qtry in Germany, you have uh, Croyer Concept in France. You have a couple of companies who are very good at this. You have also very good research labs, particularly in Netherlands and in Grenoble in France, uh, who know about the, the the control electronics which can which can control efficiently all these qubits. Where are these research centers coming from? I mean, this is obviously not dedicated to quantum. They come from... Oh, you have both. You, you, uh, well, most of the research centers in Europe are uh, coming out of universities or public research labs. Uh, if you take Germany, you have a lot of research labs everywhere. Uh, Jülich Center is famous for that. Uh, you have many, many elsewhere. Uh, in Netherlands, you have a, a, a big ecosystem around Delft. Uh, which created a lot of spin-offs, and they have QSoft and QTech, which are two spin-offs from Delft, uh, which, by the way, are partnering with Microsoft and, and Intel, which is a kind of intermediate situation uh, uh, because, um, uh, well, if European companies and European labs work only with American companies, it's not good for us. So we need to have better co collaboration between uh, European companies and European labs. That was the goal of the Quantum Flagship Program. Did they they go for Microsoft? I mean, without going into the details, there was no alternative uh, for the I, software. I, I don't know the history. I don't know the history in details. But uh, what I know is, uh, American companies they do their shopping in Europe. So IBM is shopping in Switzerland because IBM uh, has a very um, uh, interesting okay. research lab in Zurich. So. They are partnering with ETH Zurich uh, to get some skills from uh, the university. So they have joint uh, investments in uh, superconducting qubits. Uh, it was a way for the 
it was also a way for the research labs in Netherlands to get some funding. So since Intel uh, put uh, 50 million bucks uh, on, on the plate, uh, I think five years ago, they said, okay. Um, Otherwise, you have the big uh, European flagship program. You probably heard about this. So, so one of the key flagship programs, it's a 1 billion investment, supposedly over, I don't know if it's five or 10 years. Um, there was a first round and a second round of projects uh, decided between 2018 and, and, and this year. Uh, they, they, they invested at least 160 million euros in uh, 21, 22 projects. And uh, most countries are involved. Uh, there's a lot of leadership from Germany, from Netherlands, a little bit from France, a little bit from Switzerland in those projects. And they cover all the range of technology. So sensing, uh, telecoms, cryptography, and uh, computing. I mean, there are so many applications, so many fields. Does it make sense to, to spray the efforts in all this? Maybe because of what you said at the beginning, the serendipity, you don't know exactly when the roadmap will hit. Or should we, I mean, is it the right way? What is your honest assessment of, yeah, yeah. of this research? I, I think we do. We should do it both ways. We need to spread investments in many different dimensions between, uh, because we don't know who's going to be the winner. The, 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 the specific aspect of quantum computing, particularly computing right now, is nobody knows who's going to be the winning qubit. And so we have to invest in many different uh, uh, um, uh, types of qubits to, to be sure that we get the winner. Uh, if we make a two big bet on one, that's the loser. It's, it's a losing bet. So we need that. But on top of that, we need to invest probably more than we do and uh, more focused and more, with more collaboration. Hopefully, that's starting to take shape. I mean, the quantum flagship program uh, tries to do that in cold atoms, uh, in uh, quantum cryptography. There was even a, a project uh, launched uh, last March, uh, which is uh, coordinated by the team from Serality in uh, Grenoble, but it's uh, coordinating uh, research labs from throughout Europe on uh, Silicon Qubits, which is one of the promising uh, platforms. So we need to be uh, both uh, depth and breadth uh, in the way we invest. And we need also to, to do something that we didn't do in AI, which is to be bold, ambitious, and one of, the, one of the ways to be ambitious in quantum computing is to look at the market, to, to look at the applications, and make sure that we have a good ecosystem in software development, in algorithm creations, and to make sure that we do that in a way, a shape and form that's going to drive uh, high volume markets. Because right now, and even, even when quantum computers will start to show up with a sufficient uh, uh, power, it's going to be a niche market at the beginning. And uh, Europe must do better than winning a niche market, like we do in different places. I mean, in, in the industry, in the CAD CAM, we are good, but we need to win a high volume market. So one of the ways to win a high volume market is to make sure we have enough people developing applications, developing software, and start right now, not wait for the, the big computer, and make sure that those uh, people uh, can be put in a position to invent high volume usages. And those volume usages are mostly right now in two different markets. One is healthcare and personalized healthcare, and the other one is transportation. And those are two fields where Europe is not bad. I mean, we could do something in, in those two spaces. I mean, when we prepared a bit this, this, uh, this discussion, you mentioned that there's a lot of focus on hardware, on the qubit, on the computer, yep. etc. Let me push you a bit more. I mean, what are the frontiers? Is it a technological issue on the software side? Is it 
really, because you also mentioned that actually there are a lot of applications. So I don't see where's the missing link here. Uh, where you mean, we... you mean between hardware and software or in software? In software. Well, the missing link is in Europe is, uh, well, most of research in quantum computing was uh, focused on, on the physics side of things. In the US and particularly in Canada, it was more balanced. And uh, one of the reasons is uh, in Europe, particularly in France, we are perfectionists. So we want to have the good computer, the perfect computer to do something. And uh, so we wait for the good computer to be available. Then we invest on software. In the US and particularly in Canada, there was, they, they had a very different approach. One of the first company uh, uh, created in that space was called D-Wave. D-Wave is a startup created in uh, Vancouver uh, back in 99, so 21 years ago. And they did choose a very particular narrow uh, niche of the quantum computing market. It's called quantum annealing. Uh, most of the physicists say it's not quantum computing, so it's not a real quantum computer. But even if it's a fake quantum computer, it's still more or less work. And there's a huge ecosystem that was created in the US and Canada around this company, like one qubit. It's a one of the most uh, famous software company in Canada. And so they developed a kind of beta test so software publisher company uh, around that. And though most of these companies now they try to do software on the, the new quantum computer, which are using the more perfect uh, way to do quantum computing. And so they, they, they can base what they do on the, the, uh, the learning they had on the first generation. Europe and France, they want to have the perfect solution before launching stuff. So that's... It's a way to address the risk and address try and error uh, differently. Um, but hopefully it starts to change. Uh, I mentioned that uh, in many European countries, you start to have new software startups being uh, created. You also have a big challenge in education. Uh, you need to train a lot of engineers, a lot of scientists uh, in uh, algorithms creation and then on software development. Uh, we have hopefully uh, some interesting uh, works being done in Switzerland and uh, elsewhere in Europe uh, to develop new leading edge uh, software development tools. Because to be efficient in software development, you, you need to have the right tools. And um, there's still a lot, of work, a lot of work to do there. I mean, that makes us very comfortable because, you know, Jedi has Switzerland uh, completely on board. Uh, yep. Pragmatic yeah. approach to things. Uh, one of my last questions, but we'll definitely invite you again because we just touched the surface here. Uh, and I know you had a lot of uh, other things to, 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 to share with us. Uh, privacy. I mean, uh, obviously, it's a huge topic in Europe. We saw that with, uh, with the tracing apps. We just saw the recent decision of the, of, uh, the Court of Justice to, to consider the privacy shield not being uh, actually protective enough for European data. Is quantum both a solution or a huge risk for one of our core values in Europe, privacy? Well, quantum computing is potentially a huge risk uh, because uh, most of the specialists know that uh, a, a big quantum computer would be able to break the uh, public key systems, public key cryptography systems, like uh, all those based on RSA, RSA key. Mm -hmm. um, it's true. But there are solutions coming from the quantum world. So there you have uh, both uh, quantum cryptography that's using uh, uh, light and fiber optics or satellite communication to uh, protect uh, communication. And you also have a new field that's, uh, that started to take shape about 10 years ago that's called post-quantum cryptography or quantum-safe cryptography. It's a new way to uh, encrypt data and to create some keys. And uh, that's uh, supposedly safe 
against quantum computers. So there are there are solutions. Uh, what's important is to put those solutions in place at the right time. So uh, people have to invest right now their time and uh, energy and funding on finding the right uh, mix of quantum cryptography solution to make sure that they are quantum safe. I mean, is this something where the Europeans could uh, could lead could lead again? I mean, we saw in cyber they could uh, they could uh, with regards to standardization. Okay. Standardization is a, is a complicated issue. I, I wouldn't say that we are in good shape right now because what's happening is uh, the um, uh, NIST in the US, the standard body in the US, they started a, a big RFP uh, for creating the new uh, PQC, so post-quantum cryptography yeah. uh, standards. Uh, many European countries did respond to the RFP. The equivalent in Europe is driven, as far as I know, by ETSI, the telecom uh, standardization body. But it didn't drive and attract the same level of investment from the world. Uh, so it looks like the Americans may be in a position to control who are going to be the leading standards, even though they will use some IP from Europe. But you know what? <laughs> the trick of the trade is what the NIST did is they asked the, uh, the, the contributions from uh, all the uh, respondents to be open source and to be uh, royalty free. So it's... Uh, it's a double sword age. It's a complicated. Uh, I've not seen a lot of discussions between governments with regards to the the the, the positioning of the U.S. Uh, in that space. It's uh, it's it's becoming a political issue. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the role of NIST, which is totally uh, relatively unknown in Europe, is so critically and and cyber. We see that again in quantum. But I, I've looked at all the participation from European companies in the international standards body around the quantum cryptography. Uh, it was a shame. I mean, uh, we didn't have enough companies, enough labs. Uh, it, it was uh, hijacked by the Americans and the Chinese. So we need to have more presence from European labs and large companies and even the government bodies uh, in those uh, standardization bodies. You have ITU, you've got ISO, you've got many, many uh, standards body where we need more presence. And so we come back to the competence issue and the, the talent issue. I mean, you, we are probably one of the longest uh, conversations so far. We tried to, but I think it was exciting for everybody. Let me finish on, on one question to you. Uh, is there any technological aspect that we don't pay enough attention to? In this quantum world, what what would it be? Oh, you mean in the world or in, France, in, in Europe? In Europe, what what are the, the 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 areas that could potentially also be for us Jedi a, a possible challenge to launch? What are the where are the frontiers? Well, with regards to Jedi, I, I would I would position the the software challenge uh, as a good uh, way to address things. I, I don't think Jedi is positioned to help the physics side of things because it's very long term. It's a big investment. It's complicated organizations, whereas we can drive innovation in software development, in algorithm development in a more flexible way. So I would say that Jedi is more a software ploy than a hardware ploy in that space. But uh, there's something else that could be done also is to make sure that people know each other. Um, more companies know each other, know what they do. They can exchange on what are their trials, what are their skills development. Uh, most of the large companies I know, I mean, uh, whether it's Daimler in Germany or Bosch or Baths uh, in France, you would have uh, uh, EDF, uh, Thales, uh, even though Thales is a bit different because they do quantum sensing, but Total, or Airbus, all these companies, they, they have created uh, small groups in, within the company with about 50 people inve investigating what they can do with... Uh, quantum software, but they, they have to share more. They have to uh, share the learnings. They have to uh, also work with startups. 
work with labs. It's uh, it's always the same story. I mean, uh, make people connect, uh, create serendipity between all the, those people. But I think that Europe is theoretically well positioned because if you look at all the technology bricks in quantum, whatever, I mean, sensing, telecom, crypto, or computing, all the bricks are in Europe. I mean, Europe has all the bricks. Uh, you have cooling, you have uh, electronics, you have uh, the qubits, you have the physicists, you have the software people, everywhere, everything is there. The problem is it's scattered uh, in many countries uh, through uh, small organizations, small budgets. There's some consolidation to do, probably uh, not at the research level, but probably at the, at, at the level of uh, corporations and startups. I hope we will have some merge M&As in, in the startup scene. I would dream to have uh, international startups based out of Europe uh, with uh, skills from Netherlands, Germany, uh, France, uh, Switzerland, uh, Austria, whatever. Um, it would be a, a nice uh, evolution. Uh, you know, uh, uh, my, my lesson of history is uh, we have Dassault system, we have SAP, two leaders, two worldwide leaders in their own field. It shows up that it's possible to create a leader. So let's dream about it. Wonderful. On these very positive words, let me thank you very much. It has been a fascinating discussion. We'll definitely invite you again that you tell us more about uh, cryptography and, and, and the future com uh, quantum computer. Olivier Zrati, thank you very much. It was exciting. Thank you. Bye-bye.